2: She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today?
0: Well Lloyd, today our show is about peace building and I have this wonderful book that I've been reading called Interfaith Dialogue and Peace Building and it's edited by David R. Smock and he's put together these wonderful articles or chapters written by various um, interfaith people who have really shared ideas about peace building which are incredible. Let me tell you a little bit about David. David R. Smock is the senior vice president of the Center of Innovation and director of Religion and Peacemake and Peacemaking Center with the United States Institute for Peace. Previously, he served as the director of the United States Institute for Peace's grant program and coordinator of African activities. He has worked on African issues for more than 30 years and lived in Africa for 11 years. As a staff member of the Ford Foundation from 1964 to 1980, he served in Ghana, Kenya, Lebanon, Nigeria, and New York. Uh, And he's in D.C. right now. From 1980 to 1986, um, he served concurrently as director of the South African Education Program, a scholarship program that brings black South African students to United States universities and as vice president for program development and research for the Institute of International Education. After serving as an executive associate to the President of the United Church of Christ from 1986 to 1989, Mr. Smock became Executive Director of the International Voluntary Services Supervising Development Projects in Africa, Asia and Latin America, and he even has a Master's Degree in Divinity from New York and um, also a Theological Seminary and a Doctorate in Anthropology from Cornell University. So we're just so thrilled to have you join us, David. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be with you.
0: Well, this is really a wonderful compilation. This book. What, what had you? What made you decide to put together interfaith dialogue and peace building?
1: Well, I started this program in two thousand, and uh, both through the efforts of our own program to promote interfaith dialogue and what I knew of other people working in this field, I thought it'd be useful to gather some cases and draw some conclusions that might be illuminating for other people, particularly in areas where religion is one of the sources of conflict.
0: And it's so ironic, right, that rarely is religion, you know, the, the principal cause of conflict, but it often is really something that people grab onto, you know, whether it was... Uh, Christians and um, the, you know, the, the various sects in England versus Catholic or, uh, you know, the Northern Ireland or the Middle East with the Jewish and the uh, Muslim or all the different places we've seen religion has really been the source of a lot of uh, conflict, but it's also been a source of a lot of peacemaking. So can you kind of talk to us about that as, you know, it can It can be either way, right? I mean, we can go to one aspect. It can either be really dangerous or it can really be an opportunity for great peace building.
1: Well, I think there are two things that need to be clarified, and you've touched on one of them, or actually both of them. But one thing is that religion is often charged as the source of conflict, but in almost every case where that charge is made, it's not theological differences that divide the communities. It's other. It's either ethnic or political or economic. And it happens that those divisions overlap with religious divisions and religion may be used as a mobilizing force to uh, bring the communities to rally around their cause. Yes. So that's one myth, that religion is the source of so much conflict. The other myth is that religion is a source of conflict and not of peace-building, but what I've tried to do in this book is to demonstrate the extent to which uh, religion can serve as a a source of peacemaking as well as sometimes being a contributing force for conflict.
0: Right. And so the the title of this book is Interfaith Dialogue. So why don't you let my audience know, what do you mean by Interfaith Dialogue?
1: Well, in its most fundamental form, is just bringing representatives from different religious communities together to talk about, either about their theological convictions, but even more importantly, to talk about what divides them, what wrongs may have committed been committed by other religious groups against their community, to hear each other's stories, to grieve with each other, uh, and... uh maybe to develop a common plan of action or a declaration of advocacy that could resolve the differences and a way to move forward.
0: And in all religions, there is some commonality, right? There's faith. That's a huge commonality that you have a belief. And um, so do you work on commonalities as well, when you're telling the stories, people can understand when they lose a child, when they lose a husband, when they lose a wife, right?
1: Yeah, that's been one of the uh, things that we have focused on in dealing with the Muslim community in this country after 9 11. There's so much misinformation about Islam, and uh, to point out that Jesus was a prophet for Muslims as well as for Christians, and that, uh, in fact, uh, Muslims don't believe in the crucifixion of Jesus because they think a man who was so great and so pure couldn't possibly meet a death so horrendous, Mm. so to point out things that uh, different religious communities hold in common is, is an important way to move forward
0: right and when you're sharing stories you know people can relate to a story so tell us specifically what are some of the unique features of dialogue and how how does um, a dialogue with regard to interfaith using faith how is that different than um non-religious and non-faith-based dialogue
1: Well, there's several elements. One is that you may use prayer in a dialogue setting. You might share rituals together, religious rituals. Um, But I think interfaith dialogue on the whole tends to be more intimate in the stories that people tell about themselves and about their communities and what they've experienced. Reconciliation and forgiveness are important parts of interfaith dialogue in a way that they probably aren't in a secular setting. Uh, very important emphasis on reconciliation. Uh, religious people tend to come to these dialogues with greater humility and to engage in more confessions and apology, which are important religious, religious principles.
0: So in, in leading interfaith dialogue, how do you lead interfaith dialogue? Do you do it with a um, the leaders are the leaders, several different um, religions, so that everybody can um, buy into it, or how how, do, how does that work?
1: Well, there are different approaches, but certainly the leadership of the dialogue needs to reflect the composition of the group. So, if it's a Jewish Muslim dialogue, it needs to have both Jewish leaders and Muslim leaders, um, so that's very important, and one of the important elements in any dialogue, but particularly in an interfaith dialogue, is to recognize the asymmetries of power uh, between the communities, so often in the Middle East, with uh, Jewish communities being better organized and uh, more dominant over the Muslim and Christian communities among the Palestinians. It's important to recognize these sem- asymmetries of power and to find ways to make sure that there's equality in the dialogue setting.
0: Mm-hmm. So, at the U.S. Institute of Peace, I mean, is in in you're involved with that? So, are you reaching out to the religious community leaders? Like, I mean, I mean, I would think you know, the Pope. Um, the Dalai Lama, people who have, you know, when Mother Teresa was alive, I mean, people who are really esteemed people in the world. Are, are you guys doing that? Are you reaching out to them to try and build some kind of um, a coalition?
1: We don't tend to operate at that level. We tend to operate more at the working level mm. where people are in conflict with each other. For instance, in Burma, where we're very active, um, working with Buddhist leaders locally rather than the Dalai Lama, but working with Burmese Buddhist leaders mm. and, Muslim, and Muslim leaders and communities. We try not to just work at elite levels, but right. to work more with the grassroots as well. So to bring together where, I don't know whether you are aware of the problems in Burma currently, but uh, the radical... Buddhist monks have been calling for the Muslim residents of Burma to be expelled from the country, even though they've been living there for generations, and to mm. deny them citizenship. Mm. And there have been many attacks on Muslim communities, by, often led by Buddhist monks. So we've been working with local organizations in Burma to bring the two communities together to hear their stories and to work toward apology and reconciliation.
0: Right. Right, so it, it, it is it your um, belief that that it really has to be at the grassroots level, and or do you think it would be a good idea both at the grassroots level and at the larger level as well, or what?
1: Yeah, it, it needs to be both at the middle range and at the grassroots level. I mean, if you're talking about the Dalai Lama and the Pope, they don't need to be involved, and often they're not. Um in a position to be really helpful in particular local situations, but to talk about Burmese religious leaders as well as uh, grassroots religious right. communities in that country
0: right just would be nice to have some kind of a, a a coalition at the very highest levels to say this is this is our mission, this is what we believe in, this is what you w- we would like you know our our world communities to work on. I don't know. It just seems like that to me when I'm thinking about uh, corporations and, you know, you can work at the grassroots level when you're trying to do team building. But if you have it come down from the top, it seems to have a lot of power, Mm -hmm. you know. So how how can interfaith dialogue contribute to international peace building? That's that's really what I want to know.
1: Well, we work primarily in the zones of conflict where we work. They're not strictly speaking, international. They're international in a sense. They're not domestic U.S. Right. But they're not between countries so much as they are uh, different religious communities within within a particular country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we've had many examples of where uh, interfaith dialogue has brought the communities together and put them on a path path toward peace. We worked, we aren't doing as much currently, but we worked for several years in Israel and Palestine on what was called the Alexandria Process, which brought together the chief rabbis, the uh, chief imams, and ulama from the Palestinian community, and the bishops from the Christian communities, and they signed a declaration to commit themselves to a religious peace, and hopefully they were going to contribute to a political process and reinforce it from a religious base political process toward peace. Uh, Unfortunately, the political process never really got underway, Mm. and so the religious actors weren't able to play the role that they hoped to, but they met for several years on a monthly basis to talk about common problems, to uh, make declarations against the extremists in both communities, and when something outrageous happened, they would make a declaration condemning the outrage and speaking in an interfaith.
0: Uh, Basis. Mm -hmm. You know, here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, they they have a a peace institute. And what they've done is they've sent um, Israeli and Palestinian um, students to visit Israel. You know, the Mm -hmm. ones that are that are here, that are children of Palestinians that have become American citizens. And that Mm -hmm. has been very positive. Uh, It's an olive branch program. And, um, it's been very positive for them to, to really kind of connect and at the, at the level of college level, what do you think about doing peacemaking in the elementary schools, teaching, teaching love and teaching peace and teaching understanding among, in in interfaith at the elementary school level?
1: Well, it can help. We haven't had any experience at that level,
2: Mm -hmm. um,
1: Obviously, there's limited understanding of even the differences between the communities, much less the commonalities. Right. But um, no, there are ways that even at elementary school you can begin to get people of different backgrounds and faith orientations to communicate more effectively, to engage in group projects. That's probably the more effective way than just having a dialogue session, but to get them to participate in community service projects together where they're doing things together and they get to know each other and realize that they have a lot in common and they have a lot of similar commitments.
0: Mm-hmm. So what are the, some of the limitations and risks that we have with interfaith dialogue?
1: Well, one of the major problems is that there are extreme groups within each religious community that don't want to engage in dialogue, don't want to engage in peacemaking. Uh, I mean, we see it in uh, so many religious communities. I mentioned the Buddhist. It's certainly true of the Muslim community, true Mm -hmm. of the Christian community, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Jewish community, and interfaith dialogue really only is appealing to those who are more open-minded and less at the extremes.
0: Right. Uh, It's
1: often it's often harder to work with the extremes within your own community than it is to work with more moderates from different faith communities. Yeah. The other major limitation is that we um, have limited, we have, as religious actors, we have limited leverage. Right. We can engage in moral suasion, but somebody said that he didn't take the Pope seriously because he had no battalions. Mm. And uh, to be peacemakers often, I mean, we've seen it in uh, the work on Syria, the threat of force. Uh, may have led to progress on um, a diplomatic front, but religious communities don't have that kind of coercive leverage to offer.
0: Right, right. Are there some principles that can help predict that the outcome of interfaith dialogue, whether it's going to work or not?
1: First of all, is mutual respect and a commitment to listening to each other. Um, Look for concrete outcomes, not just talk, um, not to be confined to elite levels. Find out what the two or three sides can agree upon. Uh, See how the needs of the communities are interlinked and that they have needs in common and that satisfying the needs of one community may help satisfy the needs of the other community ensure that uh, pain is mutually comprehended and that they've actually listened carefully to the stories to appreciate the fears that the communities have about the future, mm-hmm. the mourn the losses that they've experienced in the past. I mean, one of the most fundamental aspects of uh, interfaith dialogue is to try to transform relationships. It's not just, it's not just understanding the different... Differences or commonalities between the face, but transforming relationships so people can work together in the future. And finally, I'd say it's so important to recognize that justice is a central part of peacemaking. It can't just be uh, we sit down together and hug each other and understand each other, but to realize that there are justice issues usually lying behind the conflict and that these have to be addressed before a true peace can be achieved
0: right and apology you know I've, I've talked to so many people who have you know been you know they've written books about the atrocities that they have experienced or their families mm-hmm. have experienced and you know part of it is apology just yeah. apologizing for that and you know um the armenians that the, there's a lot of Um, Sadness because there's never been really uh, an apology by Turkey Right, and um, I had a woman on my show who's a psychologist who said how important that is to reconciliation is to say I'm, sorry, you know, we never meant to do that. I think, you know, Germany has has Probably been a good leader in terms of what they've tried to do um, since the Holocaust um, yeah. in term, but uh, we don't see that in many other places and it seems to me when at least from, you know, I don't work on the global level, but and when I'm trying to help people to reconcile um, you know forgiveness, apology respect dignity, all those are, are very critical, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Right Japan is another case, they've had difficulty apologizing for the atrocities they committed and World War Two,
0: exactly, exactly. So, what are some examples um, of current situations where interfaith dialogue is being employed and it's and it's rather successful?
1: Well, I mentioned the Burmese case where we've actually had some success in um, working with more moderate Buddhist leaders and with Muslim leaders and communities, and uh, they have engaged in mutual peace building to counter the impact of the uh, extremists on both on both sides. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the Alexandria process in Israel-Palestine. We've been working for several years in uh, Nigeria. We had a uh, work with a local partner there, an imam and a pastor, both conservative uh, religious leaders. They were leading religious militias in the past. They were fighting each other.
2: Mm. The
1: pastor lost his right arm, and the... Oh, dear. imam had two of his cousins killed in the fighting, and these two, this pastor and imam, were out to kill each other. Yeah. And then they recognized that both Islam and Christianity are religions of peace, and they came together and formed the Interfaith Mediation Center. Mm. And we worked with them in the Plateau State, uh, where there's been a great deal of conflict between Muslims and Christians and uh, worked in a particular community, Yelwa, where a 1,000 people had been killed. Mostly Christians had killed Muslims.
2: Mm.
1: And uh, were able, over a period of a week, to negotiate a, a settlement. And one of the striking things was that when we brought the two communities together and had them explain what the charges were one community against the other, the Christians started off and... Indicated all the complaints they had about the Muslims. And the Muslim leader got up and said, yes, we accept that. We did all those things and we apologize."
2: Wow. And
1: then the Christians who thought they were the ones who were the experts on apology and reconciliation. (laughs) All they could do was to apologize for what they had done to the Muslims and to uh, seek forgiveness from them. So those are some of the examples. We've also been working for a long time in Sri Lanka, bringing together the four faith communities, the Muslims, Christians, Hindus, and Buddhists, and have had some success there. And it's another instance where uh, Buddhist monks, some of them are extreme and have been the most vehement in uh, trying to stop reconciliation between the Buddhists and the Hmm. Hindus. And uh, we've been trying to break down those barriers.
0: Do you think that the extremists is, is really about power? I mean, it just seems to me um, if somehow their leaders could be empowered through dialogue and, and uh, to be empowered to be the peacemaker. You know, sometimes these leaders mm-hmm. are real power hungry, at least that's yeah. how it seems to me that if somehow they could be transformed to be the to have that power, but the power for good, you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. That
0: that that would be a tremendous uh, help to to bring people into um, into reconciliation.
1: We've had quite a bit of experience with that in Pakistan, where we started off working with. Shiite and Sunni leaders to bring them together to work on a common project, developing textbooks for madrasas that focus on peacemaking from an Islamic perspective. And then we've been working with Sufis who are generally looked down on by the Sunni leadership, and their shrines are often attacked. We've been doing training of them, Sufi leaders, as uh, peacemakers and mediators, and they have gained in stature and respect because they can resolve local and regional conflicts due to the skills that they have to become mediators.
0: Yeah, it seems to me that that is so incredible. If you can teach them these skills of leading dialogue that, you know, it's the train the trainer program so that you, mm-hmm. we can because you can't do everything, right? I mean, we... Right. No, we, we have
1: to work with local partners.
0: Yeah, and the more that you... What kind of training do you provide?
1: Well, in the case of Pakistan, we uh, took these Sun-ish, these these uh, Sufi leaders to Turkey where there's been a lot more experience and exposed them to what the Turks have done to do this kind of training.
0: Ah. hmm So once you train somebody then they can train somebody and then they can train somebody and then you can wean yourself. So right. uh, so what role, we don't, we don't have a real lot of time, but if you could just tell about the role of forgiveness, um, I think that would be really helpful because all religions have forgiveness as part of it, don't they?
1: Well, some religions more than others. I've written some things about forgiveness and I think it's important to Recognize that an effective type of forgiveness is not forgetting. Right. You don't forget the atrocities that have been committed against you. But you say, I'm prepared to reach out and to move forward and not have these past atrocities limit my scope of of effectiveness and involvement and not engage in what I call cheap forgiveness, which is just forgive and forget." Right. But recognize that the pain is still there. It can be lessened by forgiving your enemies, uh, but not to just think you can just forget everything that's happened and move forward. So there needs to be more sophistication about an effective type of forgiveness that can be uh, undertaken and and taught to people.
0: And forgiveness, basically, you forgive believing that there's going to be a change for the future right i mean if 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 someone says you know forgive me part of that is this hope and belief and and faith that that won't happen again
1: right right that i'm going to change my behavior and i hope we can mutually change behavior and move forward in the future
0: exactly well this is a wonderful way to end thank you so much We've been speaking with David R. Smock, who's the editor of this wonderful book, Interfaith Dialogue and Peacebuilding. Thank you so much. Just, uh, do you want to just give your website, and then it's time for, for us to go?
1: Okay. The Institute's website is www.usip.org, and we have many materials and online training on religious peacebuilding, and uh, much of the materials would be of interest to the listeners.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for the wonderful work that you're doing in our world, and God bless you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org in the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, and write us emails about your concerns about peacemaking, in your world. Thanks.
2: It's about trust. It's about faith. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.